Tonight we'll be in Acts chapter 14, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Acts 14. You grab those doors, buddy, for me. Thank you. I like hearing the kids scream. Thank you. We'll pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the time we get to have tonight to get into it and um, see these wonderful works of yours, working through the apostles and through the saints, and that uh, you've continued this work on through us. And um, we love you and, and pray that you help us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was thinking about the book of Acts and how it is the, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the church and uh, how it never ends is what I was thinking. And then I found uh, my kid said, can we go up in the attic, dad? Can we go up in the attic? I said, well, there's got to be some privileges to being a pastor's kid, right? So yeah, let's go up in the attic. So they went up and they're climbing all over and it's quiet for a long time. I'm like, are you guys okay up there? And they're like, they're just sitting down amongst our heaters. We have air conditioning heaters up there and everything. And they're sitting down and they're looking through all these photo albums they found of our church. And they said, well, bring those out. And so they're sitting out there on the chair, and I found some collages that someone made from our Costa Rica trip and from a couple other missions trips maybe in our, our, one of our harvest parties, like little bitty people, you know, at the harvest party and stuff. And I thought, well, get those out because this is certainly proof that God still works and uh, is still alive and active, and the book of Acts is still uh, moving on. And so anyway, this... Uh, uh, we thought we need to do more than that. This is our 20th year. If you didn't know, this fall is our 20th year. And uh, um, we're going to, the, usually Wednesday before Thanksgiving is kind of a special kind of service. And so we'll put all these pictures out, get everything up. And if you have any at home, some of you old people with gray hair that have been here a long time, uh, or any time actually, we, we want to go all the way to the beginning, you know, any photos you have of it. But we also want to go any pictures you have up until recent because it just keeps changing and, and God is still moving. And, and it'd be fun to put all that out there and um, see, see me without my beard and rod with, with some hair. I don't know that it's, there's not much hair. Um, but, uh, boy, we look like babies and, uh, fun stuff. So anyway, this chapter 14 is, is, uh, is interesting. I, as I was getting prepared, I can hear, I can hear myself as I'm studying. I'm getting all fired up. You know, I'm getting cross references, man. Cause I'm, I can see that happening today. And I'm, you know, I'm going, I'm like, why am I so like agitated or so, you know, ready to fight kind of thing. And it just feels like the, the further we come along and get closer and closer to Jesus coming back, the weirder and weirder the world is. And the more kind of belligerent, the cross sounds like to them, you know, and, and it just does it. As you go through this, you're like, yeah, even back then they were trying to call out, uh, you know, Paul and Barnabas, Zeus and Hermes. They wanted to name them some other God or something like that. And, and how they're trying to give other gods credit for what God's really doing and, and all. And, and, uh, I mean, it hasn't changed, but, um, Anyway, it gets you fired up. So as we go through this, you know, keep that in mind. It's, it seems like you, when you talk about the love of Jesus, it's not the same as 15 years ago or whatever, when you could talk about it and people listen and be polite about it. Now it's just immediate. We go red, both sides, you know. And um, I guess that's just the spiritual temperature of the world. And I, I guess I like to take it every once in a while and to know where are we, where are we you know. We're close. So anyway, chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened at, in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. 
But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. I, I just, I, okay, so right off the bat, here's our first break. Um, but they walked right into the lion's den, right to the heart of the matter, right to the Jews' synagogue, and he calls it that. Luke says, we went to the Jews' synagogue, and we walked right in there, and we began to preach and talk, and many got saved, Jews and Gentiles both. But the unbelieving Jews, they just absolutely not, um, talked to all the other Gentiles that didn't believe yet, or maybe were on their way to believing, you know, uh, stirred them up and poisoned their mind. And that's a great way to put it. You know, just when we think that our rhetoric as Christians gets a little too hot sometimes, we need to be a little more loving, a little more subtle, a little more. Luke doesn't have a problem with it. He says, those, those unbelievers just poison the minds of those. There's poison, calling their words pure poison, ruining people's lives. Good. I hope that makes us feel better about when we stand up and speak boldly on behalf of Jesus Christ, on behalf of the church, on behalf of what God's doing, and for the, and for the saving of souls, you know? It isn't okay. It isn't uh, my club versus your club kind of thing, or I wish you were a Chiefs fan and not a Dallas fan, you know, kind of thing. That's, that's kind of how we treat it sometimes, or it gets treated that way. What difference does it make? If you, if you like the Denver Broncos, I mean, whatever. But the Chiefs, I mean, that's our local team, you know? It's not like that. I mean, heaven and hell is at, is at stake. And so when people are speaking against Jesus Christ or against the church or against what he's doing or against the Holy Spirit, they are poisoning the minds of those who don't believe yet. They're poisoning it. And it's something that has to be stopped. And so I love that. Because they were poisoning the minds of the brethren, Luke says, therefore, they stayed. I love that. You bet. Okay, I see where we're going to bet. Not like, well, I guess, you know, no kicking the dust off the feet, no pouting, no walking away. But therefore, because you're poisoning the minds, that made them step up. And we're going to stay. And we're going to speak more boldly, it says, in the Lord. And God came right alongside, obviously, with his word, witnessing the word of his grace by granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And that was the point of signs and wonders and always has been. He does want to bless people. He does want to heal people. He does want miraculous things to happen because he loves people. Regardless, I mean, he, he breaks five loaves and two fish and feeds 5,000, not because he just wanted to emphasize his word, although it did. He did it because he cared for them because they were hungry. Don't ever forget that. He doesn't just do it to emphasize his word, but to emphasize the heart of the God who wrote that word also at the same time. And so signs and wonders were done. And that doesn't end. It goes on to this day. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18, Jesus is giving them the great commission. And he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You're just letting them know when you guys go out there and you preach the gospel, some things are going to come alongside with that. Preach the truth and, and then my wonders and my signs and the work of my Holy Spirit in other ways, not just in the preaching and teaching of his word, but in other ways will emphasize the fact that what you're saying is true to them. They'll know it. Um, toning it down a little bit here. Um, Sometimes I've been um, gentle with the fact that there are just some people that don't believe the 
the gifts are for today. And I just don't, today I don't feel that way right now because in saying that, and what they get is, these, it's in Corinthians 12, is when he says, um, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And he says, these are going to be enforced and be working. This is a, a very loose paraphrase, but they're, they're going to be functioning until that which is perfect is come. And then, they, of course, they say that the Word of God is perfect, and therefore, we don't need the gifts of the Spirit anymore. We have the Bible. And they, they believe that the, the making of the Bible is the fulfillment of that Scripture, and so, therefore, there are no miraculous gifts anymore. So, what bothers me about that is it's not just, well, I know that you guys are charismatic, or I know that you're Pentecostal, or I know that whatever the term is that they use to describe people that believe in the gifts of the Spirit— I know you're like that, but we just we don't think the the miracle gifts are, are for today. The gift of teaching is still in function, still is still working, but others others are not. Well, what, see, my wife has laid hands on people for them to be healed, and they've been healed. Not every time, maybe I don't know. Maybe it is every time, but we don't keep track of it. We just do what we're asked to do and pray. And she has that gift. So when you say that to me. And you're saying that that's not of the Holy Spirit, that that's not of God, that my wife isn't doing that. But it's not okay to just say passively, I don't think those are for today. Then you're saying when they do function, they're not of God. That bothers me then. Because when miracles and signs and wonders are done by the Holy Spirit to emphasize his word in this world, you're saying that those aren't of God. And so that would mean that those are lying signs and wonders. Those are false signs and wonders. We read about that in Revelation. We're going to get there on a Thursday night, one of these nights. And so it's not okay to just passively say, we're, we're going to have to agree to disagree. Eh. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying you're not right at all. And it's not okay. And I'm not going to be quiet about it. We're not going to just not talk about it, you know? The gifts of the Spirit are for the edifying of the body of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the writer here says, Therefore we must give the more, more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. That's the warning. Don't drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. The writer here completely disagrees with those who don't think that the miraculous gifts are for today. Absolutely for today. They will always be alongside of God's word. They'll always be working right alongside God's word for that very purpose. His plan doesn't change until Jesus comes. That which is perfect has come. That's him. So 1 Corinthians 12, it's a long read. But I thought, man, it came up. We need to to hit it. I need to hit it hard. There's two things we're going to hit hard. Gifts of the Spirit, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, but we're also going to hit hard this, uh, there, there shall be no other gods, too. And that's later on. But we're going to hit those two things hard. In fact, I want to bury it. I want to dig a hole so deep and bury those false thoughts and doctrines so far down that we never have to dig them up again and look at them again. I just want to bury them and put them in the dirt so that none of us, at least in this room, have any doubt in our mind what Scripture says about these things. Okay? So 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I don't want to wait till we get there. We're going to hit it in Acts. Verses 1 through 11, now concerning spiritual gifts. Now the word gifts there is italicized, which means the word spirituals is what he means. It's spirituals. Concerning spirituals. 
Just cool things that God does amongst his brethren by the power of the Holy Spirit through their lives concerning spirituals. I love that. I love God's word. It's absolutely true and beautiful and does a miraculous thing in someone's life, changes them from the inside out. But I love the fact that he comes alongside and begins to talk about the other spirituals, you know. I do not want you to be ignorant. And of course, anytime he says that in God's word, what is the church most ignorant about? The very things he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about. Ask any believer who's been in a dead church for 50 years and say, could you tell me about the spiritual gifts? They'd say, what? I don't understand. Why are you ignorant? When Paul and the scriptures specifically say, whatever you do, you can be ignorant about a lot of things, but don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. He said it, not me. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. He combines them all, he mixes them up, he jumbles them all together, God does in his word on purpose, so that if anybody later on in 2000 whatever decides to say, I think these gifts over here are for today and these are no longer available, you have to destroy God's word to do that. You have to rip apart and pick and choose and take your black magic marker and scribble out that word and that word and that word. And anytime you got a black magic marker in your hand and you're coming to God's word, you better have a red flag go up in your, in your, in your mind. What am I doing? Why is this not okay? Why, is, why can't I read this? Why, can, why does this bother me so much? Well, I've never experienced it. Then read that text again. He says, to some was given this. To others were given this. We don't all get to experience the same gifts. We don't all have all the gifts. It's meant to encourage the body of Christ. It's meant to be a blessing to each one of us. Hopefully the gift of teaching is in force right now. And the Holy Spirit is teaching right now. And hopefully I'm not just in the flesh, although I'm fired up. My ears get red when I'm fired up. But we need that gift of healings. We need that, we need that gift of discernment, that gift of wisdom, that gift of word of knowledge. We need those things functioning for the edifying of the body. It's like... We got this huge, awesome toolkit that God gives to the church. He wants us all to be using it. I love the fact that I know some of you, some of you guys out there and gals out there just have these amazing gifts. And I'm talking not about spiritual gifts now. I'm going to go to other things. I'm glad some of you know, know, know how to plumb, do plumbing. I know, I'm glad some of you know how to do dirt work. Can you imagine if we didn't have the dirt workers that we have here? This place would be like this, you know, uh, we have all these things that we can do, and it's, it's a very beneficial to me. Now, I don't have to know how to do dirt work. I don't have to know how to plumb. I don't know how to do, have to run electricity, because some of you know how to do that. 
Some of those, one of those books out there is the uh, photo albums is the building of this building. That's you people. I see your faces out there holding up metal and sliding it up, you know, on the, on the roof and stuff. And it's like, man, I think Rod McKinney built the bathroom walls over here. This wall right here. I remember him and he kind of taught me how to lay out studs and everything like that. And, and all, and I did this wall over here that does the classroom sides over here. Just, you know, not, not alone, but we were kind of, that was our, his thing. And that was my, and we just got it done. He did a little plumbing and, and everything. It's just very handy for the benefit of all. And you guys have all been using the plumbing for 20 years. You know, I don't know how long we've been here. Yay. You know, no, no porta potties out in the, you know, the spiritual things that God has for our church. I'm so glad that we have discernment. I'm so glad that we have gifts of healings and we have all these gifts that can, can be used. Now, someone has to show up and decide to do the wall. Someone has to get their equipment down here from Iowa. I don't know why all you guys live in Iowa and you have to bring your dirt equipment down here. Poor guys. But somebody has to do that. They had to set that time aside. They had to put God first. They had to, I mean, not only did they not get paid to do this, they also didn't get paid for the jobs they could have been doing during that time also. It's like a double negative for them. It's a lot. It's a huge, huge thing for them to do. Spiritual gifts are no different. If you have a spiritual gift, you've got to make yourself available to use those spiritual gifts, you know, and be willing to do that. These spiritual gifts are for today. And so it's neat to see that in this book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. When Paul writes to that Corinthian church that we just got done reading, he's writing to a bunch of believers. There's not a bunch of apostles there. It's just people. It's just a church. And they were kind of a carnal church, to be honest with you. But they had all these spiritual gifts, but they were kind of weird in sin in some areas. And yet God was still doing spiritual things with them. So it isn't gifts for the apostles only or things that died off with this group or that group or whatever. No, this is just saved people doing their thing. All right. Verse four. But the multitude of the city was divided. Part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. They got run off. They were going to kill them. And at that time, they decided we need to hit the road. Other times they stick around and die. But this time they decided to go. Got to be led of the Lord on that. I got, let's see, I have ooh, two cross-references for this section right here that I want to read to you. It's about division. That's the thing that stuck out to me. Because, I mean, probably the one of the best Bible teachers just taught. And the end result of his teaching was a divided city to the point where the side that didn't believe wanted to kill the side that did. That's pretty divided, Right? Now, I picked up on this because I'm a little tired of people saying around here, you know, a house divided against itself can't stand. What does that even mean to you, those of you who quote that? I know Lincoln said it. He's talking about the Civil War and that we need to come together. But are you saying, are you using it in the way that maybe Abraham Lincoln should have said that before the Civil War? Because that's how I'm hearing it from people. 
A house divided against itself can't stand, so we best not fight over the slavery thing. Let's just let sleeping dogs lie. Really? Because right now, if our country's being divided, it's being divided in a very, very good way. People that love Jesus and people who don't. And we're called to that. That's never changed. He's never called us to just have unity for the sake of unity's sake. He's never called our country to just let bygones be bygones and let, let, let sin lie. No, 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 no. No. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 39, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus, right off the bat, says, look, you got to choose. You're either going to confess me or you're going to deny me. And based off of what you do is based off of what I'm going to, is going to determine what I'm going to do. So right off the bat, Jesus is being very divisive. I mean, really? I mean, just because I deny you, you're going to deny me entrance? Yep. Oh. Do not think, Jesus says, that I came to bring peace on earth. Man, I wish that was quoted more. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Very, very clear. Jesus says, I want to divide this world up between goats and sheep. You either believe on me or you don't. If you don't, you're a goat. If you do, you're a sheep. If you don't, the goats go to hell. If you do, the sheep go to heaven. He's very divisive in his language. He's not saying, can we find some common ground and just agree to be, I'm trying to combine those two words, shoats or geeps or what a geeps, you know. No, we're not going to crossbreed. The reason our country is divided is because some are standing up for liberty and righteousness and others are willing to cave to, to it. And that's worth dying on that hill. That's worth dying on because many other people have already died on that hill to give us that. It isn't about what you believe or what you think or about science and all that. It's about liberty and freedom that's been given to us by God. It's about truth. It's about it's about him. So many things. So I'm not okay with just getting along for the sake of getting along. Not okay with that. It's worth it. It's worth it to get fired. It's worth it to be ostracized. It's worth it to not show up at Christmas because nobody wants you there. It's worth it to miss Thanksgiving with the gang, the family. Family's not more important. He made that very clear. Now, he's not saying, I want you to hate your mom and dad. I want you to hate your brother and sister. I want you to hate your kids. He's not saying that. He's saying, but if it comes down to choosing me or them, I hope you choose me. Because if you don't choose me, you're not worthy of me. And if we choose constantly, well, for the sake of family, let's just all keep quiet about Jesus at Christmas. What? It's Christ Mass. And don't call it that. Let's celebrate Saturnalia if you're going to do that. I told you, my ears are getting red. I, I, I got fired up.
Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, Paul says to the Ephesians, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called in all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Now that's more like it. Now that's more like it. A little more love, a little more understanding, a little more gentleness. Can we finish? <laughs> Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. By no means do we reject the spirit in order for unity. I am doing my best to love you and graciously accept you and have you come into the fold, but I will stay in the spirit. I will stay on Christ's side. I will not deny the cross. I will not deny my savior. I will not endeavor to keep the unity without the spirit, but I will with it. Now, if you reject the spirit and you reject Jesus Christ, that's on you, not on me. I am endeavoring to keep the unity, but it's in the spirit. I will not renounce my citizenship in heaven just to keep you happy. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. What he's talking about is within the body of Christ, don't be saying the big toe is more important than the eyeball or the ear is more important than the the elbow or whatever it is. We need us all. You can't be doing that. And don't divide. We're the eyeball church. We're the big thumb church, you know, whatever. No, we're all together in this. So he's saying, endeavor to keep that spirit of unity. And that's where it comes along with what I read in 1 Corinthians 12. He gives some to be apostles and some to be, you know, that's Ephesians. The gifts of the spirit are given and distributed as he wills, but that's for the edifying of the whole body. So don't forget that you're one body. That's the unity he's talking about. So they take off. Verse 8. They run to Lystra. In Lystra, a certain man with, without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently, and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And Paul said, that's close enough. At least you're sincere in your faith. At least you sincerely believe it. It doesn't matter what you call us. We're all worshiping the same God. Nope. This is where I'm going to bury another one. This idea that all roads lead to heaven. If all roads lead to heaven, this is a big waste of time right here. He spent nothing but time through Genesis to Revelation telling everybody he ever met and talked to and ran into, stop worshiping that, start worshiping this. Stop worshiping all the fake and the false gods and all these other things and only worship the true and living God. If you don't, you're in big trouble. You must transfer all of your love, affection, and adoration from that false deity to the true deity. Nowhere in the Bible does he at all say, it doesn't matter. We get it. You mean when you say Zeus and Hermes, you mean Jesus. No. So they called him that because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate, intending to sacrifice with the multitude. So there's, there's Paul and Barnabas. They just got a guy healed. And the guy's jumping and leaping, and everybody says, you're Zeus, you're... Whoa, 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 no, 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 no. And here comes the priest, hey, I hear Zeus came, you know, and he's got an oxen, we're going to sacrifice, have a barbecue. 
So glad you're here. When, when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out, saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God. It's not okay to worship Hermes. It's not okay to worship Zeus. We're here to tell you to turn away from those useless things. Now, the Zeus priests are probably a little upset about hearing that, and they do get upset about it. Now, why do they tear their clothes? They tear their clothes to show their skin. I want you to see that we're just people. We're not hiding here. We're just, look, we look just like you. We're just flesh and blood. You know, we've got scars. We've got deformities, maybe. We've got skin conditions. We've got eye problems. We've got, we just look just like you. We're no different. What you witnessed and what he never got to and what he doesn't get a chance to say is to talk about Jesus. If you notice a difference here, the sign and wonder of somebody getting healed came before the word of God was able to come out and the sign and wonder was misunderstood and given credit to Zeus and Hermes. It's a very dangerous thing to seek signs and wonders. It's very important to have those signs and wonders in coordination with God's word, but by themselves, they could be misunderstood. And they will be misunderstood. In the book of Revelation, we see that, that there are going to be lying signs and wonders from the Antichrist and the beast and the false prophet. And so we've got to guard ourselves against looking after that. God's word is miraculous. It is miraculous. It's something that happens to somebody, though, that you can't see. Physically, someone stands up who's been you know, paralyzed or crippled from their youth. That is obvious. You can see that. That was the whole point with the withered hand guy. When Jesus first told him that his sins were forgiven him, and everybody went, oh, he goes, wait a minute, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, which you can't see take place. There's no evidence of it. It's just a fact by faith that I've said this and it's happened. Or that I tell him to stretch out his withered hand and be healed. So stretch out your hand and be healed. And then he did stretch out his hand and be healed. Now he's saying, just because you couldn't see the first one doesn't mean it happened. So I did something publicly that you could see to make sure you knew What I did by faith, what he received by faith did happen. This guy's sins are forgiven. The only reason you know that is because I healed this guy's hand. He does that on purpose. But, But there is no difference in the miraculousness of both of these events. Sometimes we, you know, we get the idea that when we say the Bible is miraculous and it's amazing and it's alive and sharper than a two edged sword, we say that so much. That sometimes we, we, we take it to mean like what we say about other things in this world. I was trying to think of a good example, like, you know, um, and of course I didn't come up with one, so I'm going to have to think of one now. But when you say something, it's just like everybody's like, oh, yeah, right. You know, like, um, oh, God. The only one I can think of is a movie quote, and it's not appropriate to use here, so I won't use it. <laughs> But when you say something like science is my lady, you know, kind of thing, <laughs> you know, what? Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I see you're dedicated to science more than you are to dating and that's why you don't have a girlfriend or whatever. Okay. Got it. Well, that's what they think sometimes when you say that God's word is amazing and powerful. Oh yeah. Okay. I get it. I get it. You believe it's a very good philosophy that you follow and it's been very, no, no, no. And I hate to use the word because it's, it's again, inappropriate. So let me be super inappropriate tonight. It's magical. Because that we understand. 
It's not magical. It's not demonic. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But we understand in now 2021 what magical means. It means, whoa. I mean, supernatural. I mean, it's like, it's like we get that. Supernatural. We understand what magic means. That's, whoa, that's, that's something that I don't understand. That's something that actually happened. And God's word comes into someone's life and changes them from the inside out. It is action. It is actually happening. And it's something they don't have much control of except to pour it into their lives. And it's an antidote. It's a, it's a software fix. It's a whatever. It actually does something in you. When you read the word of God, just read it. You're like, I don't even know what I read. Read it anyway. Can you imagine if we had to understand the code that Norton sends us the antivirus to fix the virus that was on our computer. Well, I don't understand how this code works. Just plug it in. Back in the day, put the disc in. Now we don't do that anymore. But back in the day, you had to put the disc in and make it run and do its thing. Oh, hey, it fixed it. Yay, you know? God's word works like that. It changes us. It fixes us. We don't get all of it. We don't understand all of it. But what we do get begins to change us and begins to transform us and make us more like his son, Jesus. We become accustomed to it. It becomes smaller. When you first read through the Bible, it's gigantic and confusing and weird and long and language you don't understand. And why did that? I mean, you get to the part, why did the prostitute get cut up into 12 pieces? It's so weird, the concubine. How is that going to affect me? And as you read and you discover why 12 pieces, there's 12 tribes, and you begin to put all this stuff together, and it all starts getting smaller and smaller the more you read it. It begins to piece itself together. You begin to understand it and grab things. What you read back here and didn't understand was explained to you over here. By faith, I read God's word, and sometimes I don't understand it, but I know I'm supposed to, and I know it's a benefit, and I'm going to read it anyway. And the words that I read now, I mean, think of all the times they sat around the fire with Jesus Christ for three and a half years, the disciples, and they're listening to him teach, and you know none of them are getting it because Jesus says it several times. Why are you still arguing who's the greatest? I just told you not to argue about who's the greatest, and now you're arguing about who's the greatest, so you know they didn't hear him. And yet after he died and after he rose again and after he sent the Holy Spirit, he brought these things to their remembrance and they then understood and they got it. Read God's word. Plant it in your heart. Plant it in your head first if you have to, but get it into your heart. Begin to digest it and chew on it and think on it and read through the whole counsel of God and let him interpret himself. I don't need an interpreter. He does. What I didn't get over here, like I said, I got over here. It was way down there in Micah, that little prophet, explained that thing in Deuteronomy. Oh, it's all there for us if we just search and dig and trust. This fixes us. And he wants us to know how important God's word is to our lives by bringing along signs and wonders so we know, look, okay, you don't get it because it's happening inside of you. He's changing you from the inside out. That's hard to grasp why you can't enjoy sin anymore, why you can't go doing that anymore. You used to love doing that, but now that I'm a Christian, I can't do that. What happened? You read this. Changed you. You're not compatible with that anymore. You're not meant. You don't fit. That round peg that you are now does not fit into that square hole. It just doesn't, no matter how hard you hit it. It hurts every time you try to jam yourself into that situation again. 
It works, it functions. But in case you don't understand what's happening inside of you, let me do some signs and wonders so you can see. See how I'm doing this over here? Now I'm doing this in you, you just can't see it. He emphasizes what the Word of God does. It's amazing. It changes us. It increases our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The more of the Word of God I read, the more time I spend with Him, the greater my faith increases. The things I couldn't do by faith before, I can do by faith now. Because I trust him more and more and more and more and more and more. John, you were right when you said, yeah, look what a little bit of faith, a little bit of obedience, you know, just keeps going and gets bigger. Verse 19. Oh, no. Let me finish this, because this is the one I didn't bury yet. I haven't even buried this one yet. Who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways? Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness, and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitude from sacrificing to them. So at the end of all that, we're not Zeus, we're not Hermes, we're just men, God is a blessing. He is wonderful. And they're like, oh, we've got to sacrifice you. That's, that's how they leave it. Leviticus 18, 24 and 25. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these, the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is, is defiled. Therefore, I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. Those are people that are not worshiping the true and living God. It wasn't okay that they were sincere in their false worship of a false God. The land vomits them out of it. I'm removing them for that purpose. Whatever you do, don't take on their characteristics or their attributes, because the same thing will happen to you. Genesis 35, 2, and Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Exodus, I'm going book by book. I won't go through all 66 books, but you get the idea. Exodus 12, 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. I will not share. (laughs) It's not okay. Allah is not the same God as our God. I am tired of having a Jewish guy up here and a Christian, maybe, guy up here and some doula or whatever they call those guys now. I don't, I don't know what they are. Muhammad worshiping, false God worshiping, all up there and we're all worshiping the same God together. Kumbaya, let's all hold hands and coexist. No. No. Absolutely not. And he makes that clear over and over again. Deuteronomy 5, 7. I mean, it's in the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. It's not okay. Joshua 23, 6 through 8. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it and to the right and to the left hand. Unless you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. And it's going to take in these last days some holding on fast. Death grip, life grip on Jesus. Judges 10, 13 through 15. 
Last one, I promise. I didn't go past Judges. I wanted to, but you can do that word search on your own. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods, little G's, which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. And the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. These are believers that have walked away and gone after other gods. He says, look, ask them yourself. You, you wanted them so bad, you go ask them. I'm going to be over here. This is the idea. I'm telling you, most of the people that I know that are Christians are one flesh, little G God dump away from a spiritual awakening in their life and a spiritual growth. I'm plateauing. The word of God is dry to me. I just don't feel like God's presence anymore. You know what? Go through your life and find sin. Find little G's hiding out in your house and in your life. Find them. Kill them. Burn them. Smash them. Whatever they are. Figuratively. I mean, you know. Well, I mean, if you actually have a little idol, go ahead and smash it, burn it, and kill it. (laughs) But if we would go through our lives and look for sin and to search it out ourselves, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If we would just go through our lives and say, I don't know why I'm dead. I don't know why I don't feel like I'm, I don't know what's crept in. What's come in unnoticed? What's there that you've become so accustomed to that you can't let go of it? Find it and do what God says to do with all these little G's in our lives. Absolutely annihilate them and see what spiritually happens to you. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. I got rid of this and I, you know, it takes radical faith to have radical faith. Radical things need to be done. Crazy stuff needs to be done. That the world thinks crazy. To God, it's normal. He calls us to just do radical things. Hey, Abraham, I want you to pick up your entire family and move and leave your dad behind. Okay, dad, you want to come? No, no. And then we have to wait for dad to die. And then he could actually do what he needed to do because he brought along with him this guy that wasn't supposed to be there. That's radical stuff. Put away those gods and see what will happen. Verse 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. Okay, remember where we left off in 18? We've got to sacrifice you. You're the greatest things we've ever seen. Then the Jews from Antioch came from Iconium there, or they came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. The same group of people. It's the same, you're like Zeus, you're like Hermes, you're great. You know, those guys are not, they, they hate Zeus. Kill them. People are fickle. They're just fickle. Kill them. And they actually stone him, supposing him to be dead. How many rocks did they throw at him until he stopped moving? However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. And what did he do? He went into the city. What is wrong with this guy? That's what Luke's writing. He goes, and he went back in. I mean, we just patched him up, and he goes back in. Got any more rocks? You know, kind of thing. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. He, he has to own it. He owns that city. They killed me. I'm not dead yet. He stumbles back in, and st- I'm staying one more day. Now I'm leaving on my own terms. You know, kind of. This is a great guy. I just love that. 
Now, we think this is maybe where 2 Corinthians 12 comes into play. It's a different verse. 1 Corinthians 12 is what I read to you earlier. 2 Corinthians 12 is when Paul is describing a guy he knows who was caught up into the third heaven. We think maybe this is that moment and he's talking about himself. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I'd like to boast to you about how I'm the father of your church and I started you and all that stuff, but I don't want to boast about myself. So here's what, he's going to talk about himself in the third person. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Such a, such a one was caught up into the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. We think he's talking about himself and probably talking about this moment right here. Third heaven. That's, most people get third, there's levels, you know, no, no. Uh, daytime blue sky, nighttime black sky, that's level two. No, heaven, beyond that. And we understand that, right? Heaven is like, like different dimension kind of thing. So that's what he's talking about. I was caught in third. And when he went there, when he had his outer body experience, when he went up and saw the heaven, you know what he didn't do? He didn't write a book and sell it at Barnes and Noble. Don't buy those things. I was seven minutes in heaven. And this is what happened. I don't think so. Because Paul says, what I saw, it's unlawful for me to write down. Nope. Not going to do it. I think what we have in Revelation is plenty. That he was authorized. That was authorized to be written down. I don't know that the rest of these books are. Be careful about that stuff. All right, let's wrap it up. 21. When they heard the preaching of the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. I love it. We made many disciples. We went on preaching the gospel anyway. Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Now that's as he's limping out of, you know, being stoned. That's how it's going to be, guys. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That's their follow-up. Okay, guys, you've accepted Christ. We taught you everything we know. I hope you heard it. I hope you remembered it. You're the pastor. You're an elder. You're a deacon. Bye. And they went and committed them. And here's the important thing. To not a discipleship program, to the discipleship program. They are not followers of Jesus Christ. If he doesn't have them, if he's not teaching them, if they're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we're in trouble anyway. If you need accountability with someone you meet at High V, you're in trouble. Because if you're not scared to do what you're doing in front of God who sees all and knows all, why would you care whether Bob knows about it or not? A man. He commits them, they commit them to the Lord. He's got them. He's got it. It's his church, not mine. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there, they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done uh, with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples, hung out for a little bit. And that's where we close tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. Powerful, Lord. 
Your word is amazing, and it's changed us. We've heard a chapter, one chapter, and it's affected us greatly. It's sitting there. It's, 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 it's doing its thing. It's doing what you do best with your word. It's a sword. It's cut. It's told us we need to go search out sin in our lives. It's told us that we need to really get our minds right when the world talks about other gods. We need, we need to be bold for our faith. We need to be ready to get stoned and walk back into the city. So much was shared and grabbed onto thank you for that. Your word truly is alive. And now, Lord, we just pray that it just bears fruit. We pray that Satan wouldn't steal it away from us. We pray that the world wouldn't choke it out. We pray the sun or the trials wouldn't burn it up, but it would be planted deep in our hearts, have deep roots, and bear much fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.